Welcome back to Make Climate Cool Again. I'm Sarah Miltenberger, and I am solo today. So that means we have some stories, we have news, and hopefully we'll get to learn something together. Before we jump into the podcast, for those of you who have been kind of following my life, I recently started my own consulting company called Restore, and I've been fortunate enough to be working with some really amazing brands and Fortune 500 companies, and I'm learning a ton. So this podcast is really a way to share my knowledge that I've gained along the way and continue to share what I learn as more information comes out and more businesses and products enter the market as sustainable solutions. My aim is to really showcase the intersection of innovation and environmental education together. So thank you to all the listeners out there who are so supportive. If you can, share this podcast with a friend or put it on your Instagram story. You're not only supporting this podcast, but also all of the environmental entrepreneurs that are out there. This podcast is for them and it's to help them and also help you learn about the planet and how we can all make a difference. That being said, entrepreneurs support each other, and that includes artists. Some other big news before we get into today's episode, I want to mention that if you're in New York City on November 20th, you should go check out the Mercury Lounge Theater. A good friend of mine that I grew up with and supporter of the podcast is performing there. Jake Huffman started a band back when I was in high school called the McLovins. They grew as a fish cover band and have toured all over the country for years and years. And now Jake writes his own songs and music and also scores for movies, which is really cool. Uh, I love his music. It's fun. And the Mercury Lounge is a really amazing venue. To get tickets, go to the mercurylounge.com or go to at your friend Jake on Instagram to find the link. And this kind of event is going to be the start of similar style events. I'm potentially throwing events in Boston and more in New York City. This is not going to be like the Caroline Calloway creativity workshop scam. This is potentially meeting at a bar or another venue and talking about the planet, sharing stories, etc. This is something you want to be part of or interested in. Shoot me a DM on Instagram at makeclimatecool. It's going to be really fun. I have a few collaboration partners and it's just going to be a good way to network and learn. Okay, so now that we got through all the announcements, let's get into today's episode. So it's late October, Halloween is on the horizon, the leaves are turning, it's vest season, which some of you know is my favorite season. Really and truly, fall is pumpkin spice and everything nice. But dare I say, winter is coming. And this episode is really about how climate change impacts the weather and how to prepare for these crazy weather events. And why weather? Well, because it's one of the most influential factors of our day. It tells us how to dress, it tells us what our activities are going to be, and it determines whether or not your Amazon Prime package is going to come late or not. And I feel that it's so important to discuss because weather is heavily influenced by climate change, and it has a lot of parts, and I'm going to try to give you the spark notes. But if you have any specific questions or comments, feel free to reach out on Instagram or via email at makeclimatecoolagain at outlook.com. Okay, so let's start with the science basics. I think most people here know this, but I'm just going to review it briefly. So we know that the energy from the sun comes in these shortwave radiations that slices through the atmosphere and warms up the earth. And then the heat is re-radiated into space 
in the form of these longer wave infrared radiation, some of which is naturally trapped in the atmosphere. And that's a good thing because it keeps the temperature on Earth within the natural boundaries that are ideal for us and other forms of life that have evolved and have been created here. So let's dive into some of the problems and how this fact impacts our weather system. So the cumulative amount of heat that is being trapped by man-made global warming pollution every day is now equal to the heat energy that would be released by 500,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding on Earth every single day. Okay, hold on. That was a really weird sentence. Let me quickly repeat that. So the amount of energy that we're creating every day by, you know, going to the grocery store, going to work, um, going out to dinner is equal to the amount of heat energy of 500,000 atomic bombs exploding every day. Okay, that's pretty significant. And we know that seven atomic bombs or something like that has enough energy to destroy the planet, right? If they're going off all at once. And there are international power struggles over not using nuclear bombs because of how dangerous they are. So it's wild to think that we're causing all this heat energy just by existing. And that affects the temperatures on the planet. So 18 of the 19 hottest years on record have been in the last 25 years. And the hottest year ever uh, has been in the last five. And last year was the hottest year on record in 29 countries and Antarctica. So let's look at the Arctic for a second. The North Pole, where a year ago it was 50 degrees warmer than normal on average. So in the middle of polar winter, the North Pole started to melt. Now, that's not a good thing, obviously, nor is it a common thing. Average temperatures up there are around negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit. So these heat waves are bringing the temperature up so that's not even in the freezing temperature zone. So ice is melting because it's literally not cold enough to even build a snowman. This is bad news for Santa. And the melting of the ice on Greenland has accelerated dramatically. We know this. We've seen pictures. And, okay, so what exactly does that mean? So the ice is melting and putting more water into the ocean. Probably not a good thing. Fresh water, that is, which is another issue we're not getting into today. But all of this heat energy that's going into the atmosphere has to go somewhere that we talked about before, right? So we have water melting, ice melting into the ocean. We have all this heat that's trapped in our atmosphere and it all has to go somewhere and a lot of it's going into our oceans. And so ocean temperatures have sort of reached their all-time record high level last year. Second highest was the year before. What does this mean? It means lots of things. So warmer temps are an issue for sea life. Um, You know, but do you know what happens when water heats up? Have you taken chemistry? Have you made mac and cheese? When you boil water, what happens? It expands. When you increase temperature, the water molecules spread out. And this is why you hear a lot about sea level rise in the news, because there's no question that sea level rise will happen in our lifetimes. It's more of a question of when and how quickly. So what else happens when you boil water to make mac and cheese? You get steam, right? 
This is also happening on the planet. As temperature increases, so we have all that heat energy that we had talked about trapped in the atmosphere, right? We have water melting into the oceans. We have the ocean heating up. And as temperature increases, this more moisture is evaporating. So this intensifies the water cycle and increases the likelihood of major downpours. Have you guys noticed lately that it seemed that it rained a lot this past spring, more so than normal? We got a lot of water, an abnormal amount of water. And we're gonna talk about this more later as well. So in many places across the United States, we've been seeing a totally new phenomenon that scientists like to call rain bombs. If you Google images, there are tons of wild pictures. They literally look like atomic bombs where they're just dumping tons of water, hundreds of gallons, thousands of gallons of water over these like smaller surface areas, um, which is different than a normal rainstorm because they move um, and affect surface area differently. But these small rain bombs are extremely dangerous and they can cause a ton of damage. Now I'm gonna shift gears now away from the disruption of the water cycle and the downpours and the floods because at the exact same time this is happening in one place in the world, like here in Connecticut or New York or even in Texas, the same extra heat that's pulling the moisture um, out of the ocean is also pulling moisture out of the soil in another place in the world. So it creates these droughts that are becoming longer and more intense, which impacts you know, food availability and agriculture production and um, you know, raising animals, uh, which is, in a, it's, there's a lot of parts to that as well. I'm not sure if you've heard of day zero. It was a day when Cape Town, South Africa, thought that they were going to be completely without water. I think this was a year and a half ago um, and as of now, they do have water, but citizens are limited to using 10 gallons of water a day. So to put that into perspective, the average American uses 17 gallons of water when they shower. Oh, so like, that's crazy. That's an example of how people are living in other parts of the world because of these climate events and, and how they're dealing with drought. And, and there are places that have no water, which makes fighting the inevitable fires a bit difficult. We know that California and lots of other places suffer from severe fires. But when there's a drought, how do you get water to put these fires out? Planes and helicopters have to bring water from other states, traveling hundreds of miles to dump a big bucket and then go back. And this is important because you're going to sometimes still hear people say that you cannot attribute any single powerful hurricane or extreme weather to global warming. They're gonna claim that the odds have increased, and yes, the odds have increased, but another way to say it, and the way that scientists are now saying it, is that every storm now is different because of global warming, every storm. The ocean is hotter, there's more moisture in the air, the winds are stronger, every storm is different now. Extreme weather is harder to predict because of all of these factors that we typically measure are all on steroids. I know this is a lot, this is a lot. And these storms are more costly. In 2018 alone, climate events cost the United States $91 billion. That's taxpayer and insurance dollars. That's money from your pocket 
to re- rebuild Karen's house and get Chad a new car. And to put that into perspective, the BP oil spill, one of the most devastating disasters we've ever experienced, cost $61 billion. And that was paid for by the oil companies. So if you think about it, it's really in our vested interest to clean up our act, literally, so that we don't have to pay as much for these climate events. So I wanted to quickly read an excerpt from a book that I've been reading called Green Think, How Profit Can Save the Planet by Rick Fidrizi. Uh, He is one of the co-founders of the U.S. Green Building Council, uh, and he also helped oversee the creation of LEED, uh, which is a building certification that has certified, you know, 4 billion square feet of sustainable real estate. And it's one of the largest uh, green building movements in the world. So I just wanted to read this uh, quick section, I think, that really... Um, describes really well, you know, what to expect and, and, and how these extreme events cost us in different ways. So there was a group that was called the Natural Capital Coalition that published a study to explore the top 100 ways the private sector is impacting the environment from water pollution to greenhouse gas emissions. And these externalities, the study found, are costing society trillion each year. In fact, according to Principles for Responsible Investment and the UNEP Finance Initiative, the world's 3,000 largest companies alone wrecked $2.15 trillion in environmental havoc in 2008. And now, industry is starting to bear the economic cost of climate change. During 2012, ongoing droughts and heat afflicting much of the United States resulted in staggering amounts of lost crops for the U.S. farm industry and cost the Federal Crop Insurance Corporation $17.3 billion, a record amount. In 2014, California's drought alone cost the agriculture sector there $2.2 billion. The month-long blaze that engulfed Baystrip, of Texas in September 2011 consumed nearly 1,700 businesses and homes and resulted in $360 million in damages. It was the most destructive and most expensive wildfire in the state's history at that time. That same year, when halfway around the world, flooding ravaged Thailand, Intel alone estimated a billion dollar hit in revenues thanks to the resulting shortage of hard disk drives. Sony and Honda also faced flooding related production problems that contributed to a 2.3% decline of the Japanese economy in the fourth quarter of 2011. And then there were 2012's Hurricane Sandy, which in addition to taking the lives of more than 100 people in the Northeast United States, destroyed tens of billions of dollars in personal property and infrastructure. We saw the devastation in terrifying high definition on the news. What the newsreel didn't capture, however, was the accompanying private sector devastation was estimated to be at least $20 billion in lost economic activity and business interruption. Workers who couldn't work, shoppers who couldn't shop, and commerce that ground to a halt in Sandy's wake. The National Weather Service measures hurricanes in categories one through five, but the private sector measures them in dollars and cents. And as you think back over the past decade and add up all the losses from the hurricanes and from the dozens of other extreme weather events, tornadoes, flooding, wildfires, droughts, epic blizzards, snowpocalypse, 
an important question must come to mind. Who the heck is paying for all of this? And the answer is the insurance industry, a $4.6 trillion sector that makes up 7% of the global economy. And as the journal Science reported, insurance claims related to weather catastrophes have more than doubled each decade since the 1980s, adjusted for inflation. And the Insurance Information Institute notes that eight of the 10 most expensive hurricanes in U.S. history have all since hit 2004. And all indications are that this trend will only continue. All of this explains why Jack Ains, CEO of the California State Teachers Retirement System, a 870-member pension fund, once called insurance the oxygen that keeps our economy alive. But today, environmental degradation is not only polluting the air we breathe and altering the climate of our planet, but it's starting to suck the air out of the lungs of the private sector. To use another phrase economists like, there's no free lunch, the environmental disasters we've taken for granted are starting to catch up with us, and paying for those losses and other externalities is threatening the very foundation of our global economy. So all that being said, there's a lot to, there's a lot to take in. And it's great that we have insurance to cover these costs that we experience, but what happens when year after year the insurance companies stop making a profit covering all the damages everywhere? Then they just decide, yeah, we're totally bankrupt. And if a tree falls on your car, well, that just sucks for you. And this is a very real scenario. Insurance companies are designed to be there for you when bad things happen and you suffer from damages outside of your control. But the road we're on suggests the insurance industry is not going to be a profitable one. And that means that they're going to change business models. And you can like Google that. There's tons of articles about how insurance companies are going to be evolving in the next 10 years to deal with climate events and, and all of these damages that people are experiencing. So I think this is a really good time to make an important point. Climate change, scientists and politicians measure these climate costs in dollars and risks. But the reality is that the real cost is human life. And where these events happen, to some degree, are heavily focused in certain areas. A lot of poor areas, they're they're not going to be able to rebuild as quickly. They aren't as agile as cities. Um, And these systems that we're experiencing are all connected. And they impact different places all over the world in various ways. And that's why it's so important to understand that solutions really need to be global. And that's why there's a huge effort to work together on this. Now, so now that you have this broad understanding of weather, I want to talk about how this affects you. So some of you may have been impacted by the recent storms that the East Coast has experienced um, last week. And before I recorded this podcast, a tree fell down on my street and I lost power for a couple days. A friend of mine's car, brand new, was totaled when a tree fell on it. And both of these things truly suck. But losing power for a day is actually really impactful because you just start to think about all the things that you use every day and how maybe we take it for granted. And I have a pretty wild imagination. So when I lost power, my brain just started like going through all these thoughts and I just started totally panicking. So at first 
I was like, okay, so the coffee machine doesn't work. Okay, now I can't toast my bagel. How am I going to watch Heather McMahon on Instagram if I don't have Wi-Fi? Netflix definitely doesn't work. Wait, how am I even going to go to the bathroom? Where will I shower? Am I going to have to drive around to stay warm for the heat? What about our Tesla? I know this is first world problems, but will we be able to charge it later or we have to charge it elsewhere? If my house used a Ring smart doorbell, which we don't, but I know a lot of people that do, how would I, would I even be able to get into my home? Are you locked out? Will I have to buy lunch while I'm out? Because most of my food requires some form of heating and refrigerators only like can keep food cold for 48 hours when there's no power. Should I just build a fire? You know, like we just deducted to that. So the point is all these thoughts that I was having in a, you know, a day time span, we now know that everything we have was pretty much invented for best case scenario. Perfect to near perfect conditions. We've invented some really cool stuff. Technology is our best friend on good days, but when it doesn't work, what happens? It's funny how complicated technology can get. We still sometimes end up reverting back to like our original archaic methods. So for example, like a ring doorbell, you're going to end up needing a key at the end of the day or doing laundry. We like wash things by hand again um, and, and hang it out on the line or outside. I don't even know. And every time your power goes out due to extreme weather, you're going to have to like reset all your technology. But this is the reality though. The more we move to living our lives in the cloud and on the ground, the more complicated it gets. The more stuff that we have to manage, the more we have to maintain it and keep track of it. And 48 without uh, 48 hours without power just made me realize how much stuff I have that I need power for. And whether you live in a big city or a rural town in New England, it impacts you differently. Really the pros and cons of living in a city and in a more rural place are opposite. You deal with different things like transportation, access to activities, and climate can really affect both those situations intensely. In a city, power is restored pretty quickly when it goes out. Um, But it actually can be kind of scary when you have a blackout. So New York City had a blackout for several hours this summer. And while maybe it was cool to see Broadway shows pouring out into the street and performing in Times Square, you actually become stranded and the subways because the subways don't work. And a friend told me that Penn Station was one of the scariest places in the world during the blackout, which is crazy because you think Penn Station like can't get any worse, right? But apparently it can at 5 p.m. with no electricity. And obviously in cities, like you can walk around and you have access to stores and there's like a billion people and things around you regardless. And now I know in New York City, there's most places have generators, especially after they experience Superstorm Standy. Um, and really like your biggest inconvenience could be transportation. But in suburbia or even rural America, transportation isn't a problem. It's all the little things that make your day. Like your house isn't running. Now you got to go to a coffee shop or, you know, maybe the grocery store or the gym to shower. Um, schools maybe don't have power. So kids are home for the day. Now you have to like under entertain children all day with no power. Phone batteries start to die. Those 
no Wi-Fi, and rural areas are more spread out. So power trucks may not get to you on the first day that you lose power. Maybe you're out of power for a few days. You got to be prepared. And really, your only saving grace could be just like getting out of that area completely with no with no power and going somewhere else. You see a theme, right? Like getting out of areas where there's no power to survive. That's crazy. So I get that it seems like I'm really focusing on this topic, but let's go back to sort of the main point above where I said almost everything we have is designed for best case scenario. And, and what happens and how do we deal with when it's not best case, when it's honestly worst case? Because that is more likely to happen in the coming years. I really feel strongly that this is something we need to start thinking about and And even in California, blackouts are becoming a thing. Northern California is experiencing blackouts because of the risk of fires. PG&E doesn't want to risk another major campfire, so they aren't generating electricity 24-7. An article came out two days ago prior to recording this podcast suggesting that California will experience blackouts for the next 10 years to prevent fires. How crazy is that? And if you live in the South, there are frequent tornadoes, rainstorms, and hurricanes nearly every week. In 2019 alone, we've had over 1,500 tornadoes. And if you recall, there was a tornado outbreak on March 3rd with over 41 tornadoes across four states in six hours. Now, extreme weather isn't just massive storms like Superstorm Sandy or the hurricanes or whatever. It's three feet of snow in September, like Michigan just had. It's 20 degrees and snowing in Denver a few weeks ago. It's four feet of rain in Houston in the end of September. These events are out of the ordinary and can do a lot of damage because we're not prepared for them. Our power grid is so fragile, more so than we think. So how can we be prepared for extreme weather? Now, I think the first thing you should do is get a supply kit ready. Think about it kind of like you're going camping for three days. Three days is like a good time frame. So prepare accordingly. You need like a gallon of water per person per day. You should get a mini camping stove like online um, or on Amazon. You can get some non-perishable food like those add water meals that you can get from camping stores and you can just boil water on the little camping stove and then you've got like a full meal for like two people. Um, Obviously flashlights and batteries, camping lanterns are really great. Just make sure they're charged. Uh, Maybe get a full tank of gas. You don't need this if you're in a city or an apartment, but if you have a car or a generator, this is a good thing to have a backup for. And uh, and also just as regular people, you may just wanna invest in surge protectors to protect your electronics like TVs which are super susceptible to damage when the power goes back on. And have a backup plan. When it's freezing, see if there's somewhere you can go for heat or power, whether it's a family member or a friend's house. And all this stuff is pretty self-explanatory and Googleable. So I made another list with millennial additions because while all those other things are great, let's be real about our needs. I think you should probably get a mobile hotspot if you can afford one uh, by the minute or by the gig or whatever to use when you lose power so that you can kind of keep working on your computer or watching Netflix or whatever you need Wi-Fi for, which is everything. Um, Uggs should be obvious. Fully charged power packs because something has to be able to charge your AirPods. 
and hard liquor because it worked to keep you warm in college when you walked to the frat parties, so it's definitely going to keep you warm when you lose power. Now, I know this episode has a lot of parts to it, but the goal is to understand how these systems affect our day-to-day and to also be prepared for when it happens to us. Trust me, when you're ready for a power outage, you're going to be so thankful that you put everything together ahead of time because you're going to be the pro and you're it's not even going to be as much of an inconvenience to you as if you don't have these things available. So I know that this episode was a little bit different. Um, it's really about educating you about what to expect and how to be prepared. You know, let me help you help yourself so that you can be more prepared. And, you know, we're all living all over the country. Um, I have listeners from all over the world. Don't be selfish. Share this episode with a friend, maybe a Californian who's going to be suffering for the next 10 years with blackouts. Um, and, and start thinking about how to prepare for this winter, whether you live in a city, whether you live in a rural town, whether you live in Europe, um, it's just good. It's just good to be ready. And I know it's a little bit of a different episode, but I hope you enjoyed it. And if you have questions, feel free to reach out. If you're feeling generous with your time, rate, review, and make sure you're subscribed for when I put out new episodes each week. Thanks so much for listening. Stay golden.